Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It is November 25th, 2022, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, or you can email me, Jason at overthecap.com. As usual, I am joined by our little bunny here, Nellie. I doubt Nellie has anything. I'm sure she'll make some noise at some point, but Nellie, you have anything? Didn't think so, but uh, I guess at some point Nellie will... uh, Make some noise and interrupt the podcast a little bit here. Uh, once again, we are doing our two Xmas uh, spice double ale. Um, like I said last week, this is terrific. If you want to uh, give this one a shot, you know it, it's a different it's a different kind of beer, especially than the the usual stuff that I have on here. But uh, we once again broke our uh, low carb stuff for Thanksgiving, and hopefully everybody had a good Thanksgiving. But, um, you know, with that in mind, we'll still go through these, probably limit it once again to just two of these drinks, and um, away we'll go from there, and then we'll get back on to uh, maybe losing a little bit of uh, weight over the next couple weeks before Christmas season really kicks up. So I just wanted to mention, uh, last week I had two emails that mentioned about the audio kind of kicking in and out on this. Hopefully it won't happen this week. Uh, if it does, I'll have it fixed probably by next week. I didn't actually plan on doing a podcast this week. I, I thought we were going to be away for a little bit longer, but the kids have stuff going on that we, we had to get back home for. Uh, the, the reason I think that the, the stuff was actually dropping out um, actually had to do with my seat. It kind of broke. <laughs> and uh, basically, I, I spent most of the podcast fiddling with the seat to try to make it a little bit more comfortable to uh, keep bringing it up when it wanted to just keep dropping down. So I'll get a new chair um, at some point here. So for this week, it, it's uh, a little bit more uncomfortable, but I just have it all the way in the down position. I'll try to leave it here, and hopefully that'll keep the audio from kicking in and out as much. Uh, hopefully that was just the issue. If not, I'll take a look into it and, you know, I have a little bit more time this week, so I'll check it out and see what exactly is, uh, going on with the audio stuff. But anytime stuff like that happens, feel free to send me a tweet or send me an email or something because it's helpful because I don't listen to myself on these things. Um, other than just doing a quick, you know, right at the beginning, just make sure the microphone is working. I don't like listening to myself, so I don't really ever do that. Um, you know, if you want to get a little bit more this week, too, as well, we did a, uh, a little spot with Pat Leonard, um, covers the Giants. That's uh, You can find that on my Twitter feed. Maybe I'll throw it up on OTC one of these times. It's mainly talking about Giants, but gets into a little bit of stuff with the history of OTC and how I started it and just some stuff around that. And I know I get asked about that a lot. So if anyone wants to check that out, you can check that out on uh, either his feed or if you check my timeline, it should be on there as well. Um, but anyway, let's let's get into things this week. And there's two topics I think I want to talk about, but we're going to start with the Jets uh, just because that's my team and they sucked last week. I mean, there's no, it was a very disappointing game. All right. And the whole thing kind of blew up because of the post game from there. And the Jets have basically completely changed course and they benched Zach Wilson. And it's not just Zach Wilson, not just benched Zach Wilson. uh, Zach Wilson is inactive this week. So they don't want him on the field under any circumstance. And I was shocked. I really was 
when Robert Sala came out on Monday and said that the quarterback position was under evaluation, or that I, I'm not even sure if he said quarterback, maybe he just said everyone's being evaluated, but he certainly was not giving Wilson the vote of confidence that he had given him really the day before, two days before, I, I forget which day he actually came out and said it. I don't remember if it was Monday or Tuesday, but after the game, you know, people asked him about Zach Wilson and it was the typical answers that you would expect. You know, were you thinking about pulling Wilson during the game? Thought never crossed my mind. You know, is there any consideration to bring in another quarterback? Wilson's our quarterback. Unless he gets hurt, you know, he's our quarterback for the rest of the year. So that was Sunday. I think it was Monday where he made the statement. And it makes sense because Monday he does the radio spot. So I thought this was him just doing a great job of getting ahead of everything where you just come out and rather than having to defend his play, because there's no there's no defense of his play. His play is awful. Um, basically, he just came out and said, yeah, he's being evaluated. And that just changes it because that basically tells everybody, yeah, he stinks. We're evaluating the situation. We're going to see what happens. I just figured this was him throwing a bone to the rest of the team who clearly wasn't happy with him. And I thought he was going to give him at least a half to play against the Chicago Bears. And they pulled the plug. And in my opinion, this is probably the end of Zach Wilson in New York. Um, at this point now, I, I would guess based on where he's drafted, this is going to put him as the biggest bust at quarterback probably since Jamarcus Russell. Um, you know, some people will bring up Josh Rosen. And there's probably a lot of similarities between him and Rosen. Rosen was drafted a little bit later. Uh, you know, Wilson was much earlier. And I know Sala came out and said, you know, this is not the final nail in the coffin. What else do you want him to say? You, know, you, you have to look at this just from the perspective right now of the team. At what point is Wilson going to come back in and have a chance to salvage his career with the Jets? And this is assuming that he's not off somewhere pouting and upset and, you know, looking to get traded or something now because he feels like his career has been robbed from him because really because of comments that he made uh, after the game. But basically at this point, the Jets have seven games. It's clearly playoffs or bust uh, from this point forward. So Mike White is going to get this game. So that leaves you six more. If Mike White is terrible this week, I would imagine Joe Flacco comes in. So that gives you five. Let's say Flacco is awful. You know, maybe, maybe you would go back to Wilson for the last four or five games of the season. You know, that, that would give him a, I don't know, 2% chance of salvaging his career. But unless he absolutely lit it up in those last couple of weeks, and there's nothing in the way that he's played that would make you think that's going to be the case, going into next year, you're not going to have a quarterback competition. You're just not. You're going to go out there and you're going to go sign Jimmy Garoppolo or you're going to trade for Derek Carr or sign Derek Carr if he gets cut. You're going to go in there and you're going to have to bring in a viable quarterback. I mentioned this before. I don't remember if it was on Twitter or if it was on a post. It was on the podcast. But 
when you look at the Jets and you kind of look at where you are, if you just stay status quo with this team and you're the general manager, you're probably going to get fired. What the Jets do, and I know people get annoyed when I say this, Jets fans, what the Jets are doing well this year is not really sustainable. You know, the stuff they're doing on defense, with the exception of, I think Gardner will be this good for most of his rookie years. Um, outside of that, you know, it's not sustainable, right? They're, they're, they're basically have a no quarterback offense. Sometimes they, they run the ball and they get some big plays uh, when they run. They have a defense that's pretty good. You know, they're not great, but they're pretty good. And they've gotten almost every bounce of the ball this season. None of that's sustainable long-term. So there's no way you can come back next year in the hope that Zach Wilson gets it. And if Mike White doesn't get you to the playoffs, you're not going to come back with a Mike White-Zach Wilson competition. You know, the, the only way I would envision Wilson in a competition at all the next year is if White... You know, let, let's say the Jets finish the season three and four, maybe even four and three. And let's say White is passable, not good, but passable. Maybe next year if they snuck into the playoffs or even if they just missed it by a game, maybe he would come back and they, they would say that they'd have a competition between those two. But otherwise, you're bringing in a veteran quarterback. You're not going to this kid again. You know, nobody wanted to look at this with any kind of realistic eyes until he pissed everybody off. Zach Wilson came back against Pittsburgh and he looked a lot like the Zach Wilson from the year before. You know, he would put together a okay quarter and then he had a lot of bad stuff in between. He got lucky with a couple of balls that were, you know, right at the... Basically, right on the sideline, you know, a toe touches out of bounds and it's not an interception, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, then, then he does, you know, to his credit, you know, he's part of the reason they win the game at the end there when they, they get the ball back because uh, the rookie quarterback from Pittsburgh throws that interception and gives him an opportunity and they make the most of it. But, uh, you know, in the games after that, it was progressively worse and worse. You know, I, I actually thought his best game was the first half against New England. Not this not this game against New England, the first game. I even mentioned it uh, during the game. I was like, hey, you know, Wilson doesn't look half bad. And then he just completely melted down. <laughs> so maybe, maybe that was my fault, right? And I uh, jinxed that one with that comment. But the Jets are winning these games, but they're winning them in spite of the quarterback. And... You know, you, you criticize the play of the quarterback. I remember saying, um, and this was definitely in a tweet, so I'm sure it's out there somewhere. You know, all the teams that drafted a quarterback last year might be in the market for quarterback again this year. You know, Trevor Lawrence been okay. I think if you had a high pick, I don't think they would draft somebody, in my opinion. They should think about it. Uh, Justin Fields hadn't gone in the, the different offensive set yet, so that team probably wouldn't take a QB, um, I don't think at least. You know, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, they're nothing, and Wilson's been awful. 
And, um, you know, I made the comment the Jets aren't even trying with them. And everybody gets aggravated. What do you mean they're not trying? They're winning. They're not trying to develop Zach Wilson. They have him on the field because he's the number two overall pick. And they're just trying to give him something to do that maybe he can he can pull off. Because he's that bad. And you can watch it in his play and you can watch it in the game they call. Watch those early games. It's like a, a quarter of his passes are behind the line of scrimmage. You know, and everybody's defending him at that point in time. Oh, he's... Uh, whatever the record was as a starter, you know, five and one, four and one. I, I don't remember what the record was. You know, that's his record as a starter. He's just winning. He's just doing what they ask him to do, and he's part of he's part of the thing. He's going to be great. He's going to be awesome. I've never seen a turnaround this quick. Not by an organization. I'm talking about by the fan base. You know, it was defending everything that he did, which was god awful. I said you can't run a functional NFL offense with Zach Wilson as your quarterback. People would turn and they'd say, look at those numbers when he's not pressured. It's the fault of the offensive line. Watch what he does. He's got, I don't remember what the numbers were at the time when people were quoting that stat, 70% completion percentage. Anybody would have that. Everything that they're calling at that point in time is basically, you know, one step drop, throw it to your wide receiver on a screen. Maybe a three-step drop, quick slant to Garrett Wilson. That's the only plays they run with a pass. Any other pass, if you want to blame it on the offensive line, don't. Because what's happening is when they're saying, all right, Zach, go and do what a normal quarterback does, it turns into a pressure situation because he's clueless in the pocket he's got no idea what he's doing you know ball at the hip eyes down on the ground running around i i he doesn't look like an nfl quarterback zach wilson i mentioned this to somebody you know he's like the guy he wows you he's got he's got a fantastic arm Right? And he can throw all these different angles and stuff like that. So I get how scouts drool over that potential. But he's like the kid that that watches you know, Patrick Mahomes, or I guess in this case, maybe Aaron Rodgers. And they try to mimic the crazy stuff that those guys do. You know, with the sidearm throws and being able to throw you know, across the body, get out of trouble and heave it. You know, all those things. And he can do it once in a while. But even those guys, you know, when Patrick Mahomes does it, yeah, it makes the highlights. It happens like 3% of the time. The other 97% of the time, the guy is just playing quarterback. Watch this game against the Chargers. He threw this rope to his third string tight end down the field. Just an incredible pass. Watch him. Watch his feet in the pocket. Watch what he's looking. And then the ball is just dropped on a dime. The defensive back has got great coverage on it. He thinks the ball is still in the air. And he, the guy already has it caught. It, it was just an incredible throw. But Wilson can't do any of those things 
Now, that, that was a special play, but he can't do the normal stuff at all. And when, when you factor in this attitude thing, you know, that, that turned everyone on the team off from him. And it made all the people who were defending him every week, when you try to say, oh, you know, Wilson's kind of bad. Oh, he's just winning. Now, those same people like, what do you mean you're shocked they replaced him? He sucks. Of course they needed to do that. What? Yeah, where, where were you last week? Where were you the week before? When he was awesome. On his way to greatness. He has zero fundamental football ability. I don't think he would start in the XFL. He's got the, I guess, the attitude of a Jay Cutler who used to rub a lot of people the wrong way. You know, with that belief in the arm and everything else. He's probably got a lot of the arm talent Jay Cutler had. But Jay Cutler at least knew how to play quarterback. Like, there's a difference. When you watch a guy who's a bad quarterback, and as a Jets fan, I've seen plenty of them. You know, and I brought Sanchez up during the week. Sanchez was a bad quarterback. But he was a bad NFL quarterback. Like, Mark Sanchez attempted to play the position. Mark Sanchez would get confused. Mark Sanchez would probably fall into that trap where maybe you think somebody's open and they're not because you missed the defender. You missed a read. You thought your arm was stronger than it really was. Or probably more so, you know, you you didn't realize that the defensive back is as fast as as they uh, are in the NFL. But, you know, but fumble notwithstanding, you were running, for the most part, a functional NFL offense. It was just with a really bad NFL quarterback. Wilson doesn't look like an NFL quarterback. Like, he doesn't look like a player that you can simply say, okay, drop back, hang back there, and throw the ball. He doesn't do it. He did it one time this year. Did have one really good play. I don't remember who it was against. Did have one really good play. Where he got drilled as he was releasing the ball. But, um, you know, most of the time, he just runs into pressure and just starts running around. Just throws wherever. And then when you come out after the game, you know, you've got to do the stuff Sanchez did as a rookie. You know, it's easy. It's like, this is stuff that you should be coached to do. You know, you just go out there and when they say, you know, what happened? Just say, I sucked. You know, I'm the reason we lost. I'm the reason we've lost two of the last three games. You know, don't go into this nonsense of, uh, you know, everybody like to have some plays back. Um, You know, yeah, we, we were having a discussion, me and uh, Wilson and Mims. It's all about just holding each other accountable. You know, that that's all it was. I'm, I'm, we all we all had some stuff that we wanted to do a little better. But that that that's how we're, we're, we're learning. Something like that. That's paraphrasing. You know, and then it's you feel you led the defense. You let the defense down. It doesn't even think about it. Just no. And... You know, it just rubbed everybody the wrong way. And when you hear what Garrett Wilson said, you know, after the game, where he's basically talking about accountability and how bad everything was and everything else, um, 
You know, he's talking about the quarterback. You know, it, it's pretty clear. Now, I, I have no idea what their conversations were on the sideline. I have a feeling it had to do, you know, had to do with a play where he was probably open down the field, doesn't pull the trigger. And I'm sure he just blamed it on the offensive line. It's like, man, I was under pressure. I, I couldn't get that ball to you. And when I say they're not trying, listen to his comments where he's like, you've got to put some trust in the receivers. And he's basically saying, you've got to let us, you know, try to get open for him. Or at least if he throws the ball really bad, we'll break it up. You know, that's what he's saying is you're not even giving us an opportunity because he's that bad. And to try to to spin it that it had nothing to do with the comments after the fact, like this is why he got benched. I mean, you're dreaming. On Sunday, Salah's watching that game. And look at the look on his face when at the end of the game, Wilson almost throws the game away on a uh, on a pass to the sideline. That, that, that's the only place they let him put the ball. Because, you know, if he puts it anywhere else, it's a real disaster. At least on the sideline, you know, the, the sideline acts as a defender. Um, you know, that, that look on his face said everything. When the Jets got the gift first down, he was just like, screw it, I'm going to run the ball. And after the game, he's still, that's our quarterback. So unless Woody got involved, and you never know, um, you know, it, it was all because the, the team was really angry with the quarterback. And your option at that point is try to salvage this quarterback who just looks like he doesn't belong in the NFL, doesn't belong in the XFL, the USFL, the CFL, doesn't look like he belongs in any FL, and, um, you know, lose the team or try to cater to the rest of the team and bring in someone that can maybe run your offense. So I, I give Salah a lot of credit and Joe Douglas a lot of credit for how they handled this. I would have never expected them to do it because in my mind, your 2020 draft class is already a waste. This pretty much puts your 2021 draft class also in the rearview mirror. You know, unless something dramatically changes with Elijah Moore, um, you know, you've got a couple guys from it. You don't have, you know, big stars. You know, Veer Tucker is good player. Um, defensive back Michael Carter is a good player. I think running back Carter is a pretty decent player, but the Jets don't seem to trust him. It's the only complaint that I had. You know, a lot of people are complaining the offensive coordinator. What what can you even blame the offensive coordinator for? You don't have a guy that can run an offense. You can't evaluate him. You just can't. He's handicapped. Yeah, you, you say, well, where were the creative plays? Well, he blew too many of those plays early in the season. Or maybe they didn't blow them. They didn't have a choice. They had to use them all. You know, the, o- the only game where they wasted them was that game against the Packers where they kept trying to score. I guess he was trying to show up his brother and they couldn't do it. Just pulling out anything and everything at the end of a game that they already had wrapped up. But I think that's part of why they're not running a lot of those things. It's because teams have seen the stuff now. They're, they're going to be a little bit more prepared for it. 
So you're just trying to do what you can with this guy. Now, the only complaint that I have about the Jets' offensive game plan is when you want to talk about playing big boy football, go play big boy football. You know, when you're playing against teams that have inept quarterbacks, you know, you, you can probably play your running game. You know, you lost 10-3. to 3. You, you can play a game that you're trying to win 17-14. You know, but the the Jets do they they fall into this trap where unless their guys immediately are running for like ten yards a pop, eight yards a pop, you know where you you're getting all pumped up from from that kind of stuff. They run they run away from that game. Even against Buffalo, you saw it. It was like a struggle on offense, struggle on offense, struggle on offense. Finally, at the end of the game, you know when they when they put that game away, they run the ball gain eight yards, and you see, it's like the light goes off. It's like, oh, yeah, now we're going to do this. It's like he, you, you could have been trying it all game. Now, against Buffalo, you did have to score more, but it was that was more Josh Allen just imploding. You know, but they're, they're, they're going to go for the playoffs this year. I hope they make it. You know, I do. Um, if they don't, if the, if the Jets crater and burn now, um and they're not going to burn because they made a quarterback change. But if if they do, you know, kind of fall apart, um, guys are going to have a difficult time. I think everybody's going to be safe. Um, you know, but it, they're all going to be on the hot seat next year. So I, I think they need to make the playoffs this year to try to keep that seat a little cooler. And they might be on a hot seat next year anyway, depending on you know how the season plays out and everything else. But you know they they need to um you know they they they've got this good draft class from this year and i think what they have from 2021 are some decent depth pieces and you need that um but they they've obviously got to find something at the quarterback position but you know th- this year everything has gone their way you know the jets are not a 6 and 4 football team you know you had a miracle against cleveland just an absolute miracle. You know, you never win that game. That should be five and five. And you look at these other games, you know, Miami's third string quarterback, the Broncos second string quarterback, um, Pittsburgh switching quarterbacks, um, you know, all that stuff. And you've had good wins. I'm not, not saying that they haven't. But, you know, if that stuff normally balances out, you know, the Jets are probably four and six right now. So you, you take what's in front of you and you've got to run with it. You know, you, you've got to get to that next level because it's here. And, you know, you, you're going to you're gonna have to make some changes next season. So you make the most out of, you know, this group of players. And, you know, you, you hope that Mike White brings some energy to the team. I think that's why they went with him instead of Flacco. But, um, you know, they did that. But... You know, I, like I said, I, I give the coach and the general manager a lot of credit um, for pulling the plug like that. You know, that that was a, they wouldn't have done that last year. Um, last year, when Sala would talk about Wilson and when he would talk about the team, my thought was this guy's in way too deep. He's in way over his head. Even early in the season, when he was talking about taking receipts and all that, it's like he's in way over his head. This is not going to work out. 
Um, this was just a, a just really well done, I think, by him. Um, you know, and I don't know if he's going to be a good coach. I have no idea. But the way that he's handled things, um, you know, this week, and really even even after beating Buffalo and upsetting them and everything else, um, he's handled it really well. So I, I think that part of the concern is, you know, kind of gone. And then you, you just, you're going to see how they can develop players from this point forward. When you make a draft pick this bad, it's very hard to recover from that. It's hard to recover as a general manager. It's hard to recover as a head coach. Um, but because of how well the team has played this year, and you know whatever lucky breaks they've gotten, they've gotten. Um, you know they they've put themselves in a position to kind of go that route of. You know, some of these other teams, which most of the time it's a flukish season, but, you know, you, you look at stuff and you start to say, well, you know, they're able to win games in spite of the quarterback position. Very difficult to do. But, you know, I'm, I, I, was, uh, I was pretty happy that they made that move. Shocked, but uh, pretty happy that they made it. But it's, a, it's definitely going to be a, a real interesting finish to the season for the Jets because if they don't make the playoffs here... I, I don't know how what the reaction is going to be. You know, record-wise, this is growth. Um, how you've seen the team play, how you've seen this draft class from this year perform, it is growth. But, you know, it, it's going to be hard to swallow if they finish the season cold and, you know, you, you've given up on uh, Wilson. So it, it's going to be really interesting. Um to see these next couple of weeks and see what they do. But, you know, we'll, we'll, let's see how things go. Mike White was uh, terrific for a game last year. Not so good in another game. But he can definitely bring some energy to the team. Um, he can go out there and he can run. He can run some of the stuff that they would probably like to do that Flacco can't. Um, so we'll see. And hopefully, uh, hopefully things go go well, um, you know, for them. And uh, we'll see how it goes against the Bears this week. So, second topic I wanted to uh, discuss was this thing, and this was talked about a couple of months ago. There were rumblings about this, but I, I guess now it's a little bit more official that the NFL Players Association basically is going to file or wants to file or maybe has filed a collusion claim against the NFL because nobody else has gotten a fully guaranteed contract since Deshaun Watson. And, you know, in my mind, this is just a ridiculous kind of hill to climb uh, that'll be really hard to do. But I just wanted to start with this. Um... And I'll try to post a link uh, in the in the post for this. So if you most people listen, I think on uh, Apple or Spotify. But uh, if you go to OTC and you just click on the uh, the link for this, or I'll try to put it in the description. Um, Eddie Healy, who's done some stuff for us behind the scenes, he may have even uh, we may have published an article um, 
of his. I, I can't even remember. Eddie's a good guy. Um, you know, he's he's worked a little bit front office work and he's done uh, management council. Um, you know, he, he has an article on this, uh, WCSlaw.com, uh, resources, the big thing. I'll, I'll just put the link up there. But I thought Eddie had some interesting thoughts here, uh, one of which was something that I had had as well. But, um, you know, let, let's just uh, run through his his stuff here, and then I'm just going to run through a couple of my thoughts on it. And also, what really is the big kind of fallacy in the NFL looking for, or that players looking for, quote-unquote, fully guaranteed contracts? So let, let's just take a look at some of the stuff that um, Eddie brings up here that I think is much more from a, a legal position than, you know, just some of the, the generalized arguments here. So uh, he has a section on here, the weaknesses of the NFLPA's position. Uh, one is proving an agreement, um, less it produces recording uh, of incriminating conversations or some other smoking gun. You know, the NFL is going to be the ones that have to argue um you know, that there's some implied agreement between owners and you're going to have to have, um, you know, some kind of evidence that basically say that they just want to deny fully guaranteed contracts. So, you know, that that's one of the arguments. Second one here, which I think is pretty good, um, you know, a discretion clause um, permits teams to refrain from negotiating with or not offering contracts to players so long as they don't fall into certain categories. Um, they refer to contract status that wouldn't apply to Lamar Jackson because Johnson, uh, Johnson Jackson's not a UFA yet. So it, it's hard to say that teams are colluding, you know, against Lamar Jackson, who really w- would be the, the most logical um, person to discuss here because he's the only one on record basically saying that he wants a fully guaranteed contract and the Ravens really don't want to give it to him. Um, You know, so article, uh, I'll get back to Eddie's thing here. Article 17's discretion clause suggests that an individual NFL team might not, uh, may have a policy of not offering fully guaranteed contracts to certain categories of players, veterans, extensions of rookies, running quarterbacks, etc. That policy wouldn't violate a collusion policy because it has nothing to do with 31 other teams, or I forget however many, and Eddie might have talked about it here, um, you know, however many you need to choose, uh, to prove collusion, however many owners, seven, uh, 10, whatever the number might be, um, you know, clearly one team, that that's not collusion, that, that could just simply be a team policy. Uh, now, this is one that I brought up on Twitter, um, and he also talks about it here, fully guaranteed contracts do exist. Um, you know, so he, he mentions here, the franchise tag transition tag collectively bargained. Um, I don't think he mentions the option year here, but, uh, you know, those, those are collectively bargained to be fully guaranteed, you know, and then what he mentions here, all 32, 2022 first round draft picks signed fully guaranteed deals. So, yeah, while he's he's agreeing, you know, the same thing that I said, you know, this isn't exactly apples to apples, um, you know, because the, the size of these contracts is much different. Um, you know, he's basically saying the NFL can make a persuasive argument that there's no general agreement against fully guaranteed contracts uh, simply because there are fully guaranteed contracts. 
You know, we we have a history of fully guaranteeing contracts for every player um, in the first round, or not every player in the first round. You know, it was uh, first year was maybe top fifteen picks, sixteen, twenty, something like that. Um, you know, they got fully guaranteed deals, and that was all individually negotiated. Remember, the rookie system. While the contract size is more or less mandated by the CBA, the guarantees are not. So that was individually negotiated by every single team and player that, you know, that those deals would be fully guaranteed. Um... You know, now he has some other stuff here relating to Lamar Jackson, but I, I just want to talk about the general stuff on this. And again, I'll put the uh, I'll put the quote on there, and or I'm sorry, the the link to this um, in the stuff. And Eddie's on Twitter too. I, I should dig up his uh, Twitter handle. Does he have it here? Um, ba, ba, ba. I'm not sure if he does. <laughs> I'll have to look it up. But you, you can find Eddie on Twitter as well. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, so the the other things that I, I brought up, and th- this gets into, you know, what he talks about um, with discretion clause and kind of stuff like that. You know, the, the other thing is we're talking and we're, we're saying and as part of this argument, and really what they're looking for, I would guess, is something to move forward in a hearing to where they can basically get access to emails and hope to find a smoking gun. I don't think it really works that way. Um, I think you have to have some type of evidence first. And then as you go through discovery, you can probably find more, um, you know, to strengthen your position. But right now, you know, you're, you're basing this argument on contracts that were signed. Let me pull them up basically post to Sean Watson. And so since the Sean Watson, we've had, I believe, uh, I don't I don't think I'm missing anyone here. We've had Aaron Rodgers sign for $150 million, of which $101 million or so was fully guaranteed. We had Russell Wilson sign for $245, of which $165 was guaranteed. I'm sorry, uh, 124 was fully guaranteed. Kyler Murray signed for 230.5 million. He had 103.3 guaranteed. Now, these are not new guarantees. So actually, the, the numbers on the contract are bigger than what I'm reading because these are extensions. Uh, Rogers is not. Uh, Derek Carr signed a contract worth 121, of which uh, 25 was fully guaranteed. Stafford, 63 guaranteed on 160. Uh, Cousins, just a one-year deal, so you throw that one out. That's pretty much it. You know, th- those are the guys who signed after the fact that would be notable players. And, you know, the first thing that I see here is, okay, I'm talking about the size of these contracts. And I'm looking at how much money is fully guaranteed here. Now, Deshaun Watson's deal is 230 with 230 guaranteed. Kyler Murray is 230 with 103. If Kyler Murray went into the negotiating room, um, you know, and basically is pounding the table and saying, I want a fully guaranteed deal, 
you know, your logical negotiation on that is probably going to be coming back with Murray getting a deal that obviously is not fully guaranteed, but would have a pretty high level of full guarantees. So, in other words, if you if you go back and you look at Dak Prescott, uh, who signed in 2021, $160 million contract, of which 95 was fully guaranteed. And that that's a that's of that, you know, full number. Um, so you're looking at about 60% of that contract is fully guaranteed. So if we take that same number to Murray, you know, you would have a minimum of a full guarantee of 135. And again, we're talking in his case, um, how much old money was in his deal? Let's see. Just give me one second to look it up here. Let me go in the back end. Um, so about another, about another 35. So realistically, we'd be looking at like a 265 contract. To match Prescott's deal, your full guarantee on that would have had to have been at least $157 million. That's to match Prescott. Now, if you were looking for a fully guaranteed deal, you'd be looking at a number that would be 265. Again, your common ground on something like that, if it was that important to the player in the negotiation, probably be something like 200 million. You know, you get to Derek Carr... You know, Carr's deal is 121 in new money. He's only got 25 fully guaranteed. And, you know, Carr was probably going to make at least that much money that this year to begin with. So that's basically like no guarantees. So you got 24.9. He was originally going to make 20 this year. So that's basically saying he got 5 million in guarantees. Clearly. Derek Carr is not banging the drum for a fully guaranteed deal because in what universe would you be signing if the full guarantee is your necessity? It is your need. How in the world are you only signing a contract that has $25 million fully guaranteed? So if I'm the NFL, you know, the first question that I would ask, and I would think the... the Players need to ask. Um, I just got to check that out later. Um, you know, the first thing that I, I'm going to ask those people is, well, were, the, were you demanding from the Raiders, if you're representing Derek Carr, were you demanding from the Raiders a fully guaranteed deal? And they just said no. No, that's NFL policy. We don't do that. If you're representing Matthew Stafford, did you go to the Rams? And did you say, well, yeah, I want to fully guarantee. Like my first proposal was 160 full. You know, or 180, 180 million over four full. But I'm willing to agree to a deal that only has 63 guaranteed. Kyler Murray went into the room and said, I want 265 fully guaranteed, but eh, I'll settle for 103. 
Like, does that make logical sense? So that tells me that you're not going there and asking for a fully guaranteed deal. Because if you were, this deal wouldn't have gotten done. So I think that that's a big thing, is when you look at the percentage of these contracts that's fully guaranteed, there is nothing in these contracts that would make me think that somebody representing the player made an initial proposal or any kind of serious proposal that was locked in on the concept of a full guarantee. So I, I don't see how that can have any merit when you know you, you've got all these things, all these deals where the contract is nowhere close to being fully guaranteed. And it's not like these players were unrestricted free agents. Right? Aaron Rodgers is was under contract. Russell Wilson was under contract. Kyler Murray was under contract. Derek Carr was under contract. Stafford was under contract. Prescott was a free agent. All right? He, he was a franchise tag, but, you know, he's a free agent. But, you know, all these players, they could have said no. Like Lamar Jackson did. So... You know, the Players Association would maybe have a some type of case if you had a situation where, you know, you, you looked at this and you said, okay, Lamar Jackson is not extended. Why? Well, he wants a fully guaranteed deal and the Ravens are saying no. And Kyler Murray is not extended because he wants a fully guaranteed deal and they're saying no. And... Patrick Mahomes never signed a deal and Josh Allen never signed a deal and Stafford and Carr are pissed off and they're they're looking to hold out. Like, if you had all these quarterbacks going to the franchise tag, going to a second tag, and possibly going to a third tag, and you're fighting over guaranteed money, okay, maybe you have a case that every single quarterback is going this way. But it's not. Every quarterback here has agreed to take these contracts. So I, I think that's really the biggest hole in any kind of claim. And, you know, before they could really get to anything, you know, in, in any type of... I don't know... It, it, before you know they they could get anywhere the first thing i would simply do is i i might even go and just say okay well let's look at these what were the initial proposals from all these players and if none of them had a fully guaranteed offer in there what what are you complaining about you know what is your case You know, and like Eddie mentioned, or I mentioned on Twitter, you've got rookies that have fully guaranteed deals. You know, and the other thing that I'd throw out there is if the owners 
were instructing their general managers, don't you dare do a fully guaranteed deal. Let's just say that's what they were doing. Don't you think by now one of these guys who's been fired and their career has gone up in flames and, you know, they're not working in the media, they're not working in consulting. You know, don't you think that they would probably just spill the beans at some point? Don't you think they would do that? You know, they would be like, well, yeah, you know, we we were told never do a fully guaranteed deal. But nobody has come out and said that. You can't find any former executive that's come out and done the the tell-all, even as like a money grab. And there's a lot of guys who are basically done with football after they lose that position. Now, general managers have a budget to deal with. And part of that budget deals with actual cash that, you know, you're going to have to not just pay out to the team in a given year, but the the escrow possibilities. And one of the things in the CBA is there's this archaic rule about basically future guaranteed salary and that the money to cover that has to go in escrow up to a certain percentage. You know, a fully guaranteed deal doesn't go all into escrow. A percentage of it does, um, you know, based on what, what the full guarantees are for, you know, your entire team. And that rule absolutely had a reason for being there 30 years ago. That rule doesn't have a place there now, but you just signed a new CBA. Did you go and fight against that rule? I bet you didn't. Because it's still in there. Even though there's no reason for it. The NFL makes so much money. There is no reason to have escrow provisions in there to make sure that a player who has guaranteed salary is going to be paid in the event that a team goes out of business. You know, th- this is not like the, uh, you know, the old USFL, you know, where you're paying in annuities and, you know, you've got all that stuff. This is all, you know, legitimate money. These are franchises that make money hand over fist. There's no reason for that provision. You did a CBA two years ago, almost three years ago, I guess now. You left it in there. Now, if that provision's not in there, maybe that changes things a little bit. You know, maybe that opens up the budget a little bit more for the teams. Now, I'm not saying they're going to do a fully guaranteed deal, but maybe that opens it up a little bit. But you have your own limit in there that you've agreed to let the teams have that basically says your budget is not just your cash budget that we look at and we account for every year, when we have these buckets of spending that you have to do. No, it's really that plus whatever guaranteed money, certain level, you know, that you have that has to go in these escrow accounts. So, you know, it, it, it's just, there's no real logic to it. 
And, you know, here's the other thing, and this is what drives me crazy about the concept of a fully guaranteed contract. The fully guaranteed contract in the NFL, it's just, it's a very different sport than basketball where you really only have to worry about a couple of guys and that's about it. And you can have some guys that just kind of hang around forever, you know, that are basically used in trades and stuff like that. It's very different than baseball where, again, you have guys that can just hang around forever and you can structure contracts very differently and, you know, there's things you can do. In the NFL, not only do you have to worry about your cap, you have a ton of roster turnover every year. You know, you are bringing in new players via draft, via free agency, via the UDFA process. You have a lot of guys you're bringing in and a lot of guys you're dropping out. And you're dropping guys out because of performance. You know, some of it is uh, is financial, but it was more financial 20 years ago, 30 years ago than it is today. You know, you, you are trying to maintain some type of flexibility with your roster because you need to make changes to it. So, you know, this is specific to quarterbacks, you know, this argument, um, not to other positions. But even still, you know, a quarterback these days, it's not a sure bet. You know, yeah, we get very bullish on the quarterback and you're afraid to lose him. But that doesn't mean that the deals are working out. So what I did is I, I went back and... I looked at every contract that we had a record of that was signed since 2011 at the quarterback position. And I looked at players where if you inflated it for salary cap growth, um, would make at least $20 million a year in today's salary cap environment. So <clears throat> here was the deal. Now, the, the numbers are going to fluctuate a little bit here because of uh, um, you know some of these players are still active. But here, here is what we've got. Of players, um, you know, who signed contracts that were at least one year in length, uh, we had a record of 66 players that on an inflated basis would have been $20 million a year plus. Of those 66, 56 of them finished the first year of the contract. So about 85%. So that means 15% of the players, you know, didn't really make it to that first year. Now, um, the only player I can think of, and I could probably pull up the raw data to look, off the top of my head, the player that I would think of that didn't play at all was Sam Bradford. Um, Bradford played a couple of games with Arizona and got cut. Uh, and with Philadelphia, he got traded beforehand. Um, now, that was a unique situation, but Philadelphia had already made a turn, right? They, they already made a turn in a different direction. So 85% of the players don't make it to that first year. You know, the notable guys who didn't make it to the first year, Wentz and Goff. You know, they signed those extensions and they got traded. They lost their jobs before they even made it to the first extension year. They had four-year deals signed. So, you know, while their contracts are still running, 
Uh, from the team perspective, that's a that's a loss. So for players, if we signed at least two years and have the ability to complete two years. So, you know, if you, you had a deal that was starting in 2022, obviously you can't complete two years. So we pull all those deals out as well as the one-year contracts. We've got 53 players. Of those 53 players, only 33 completed two years of a contract, 62%. When we bring that out to three years, it drops to 56%. Four years, only 39%. When you get to five years, the, the pool drops down a lot, okay? One, that's because contract lengths are shorter. It's only 19 players. Uh, the other thing is, you know, guys like Mahomes and Allen, they, they don't qualify at all yet, um, you know, for this type of stuff. <clears throat> only 31 0.6% of players that, uh, you know, we can talk about right now made it to a fifth year. Now, I'll say this, what I'm talking about by making it to a fifth year, because we're talking about the concept of fully guaranteed contracts. If you're traded, that means we wanted you out. You know, if it was, if that whole deal was fully guaranteed, you'd have a pretty tough time. If we have a contract that's been renegotiated, think of a Ben Roethlisberger you know, in his last year, and they took a pay cut. Obviously, if their salary was not fully guaranteed or was fully guaranteed, you're not taking a pay cut. So we're calling a pay cut basically the same as, uh, you know, having a contract terminated. If you are extended, I'm just considering it that you, you completed the whole deal. You know, so like Derek Carr, no, technically, I mean, his deal ends this year anyway, but... Uh, his old deal, I mean. Um, you know, but we, we would consider that a completed contract. So, anyway, if you put in the numbers, you know, for what a, a contract value would be, you know, based on one-year payouts, two-year payouts, three-year payouts on multiple-year deals, and you're looking at these numbers, realistically, of the new money in a contract you probably should not fully guarantee anything more than like the average works out to be about 74 million but i you know since some of these numbers might fluctuate a little bit uh I, i'd say maybe 85 million dollars you know that that's probably the max guarantee you should full guarantee you should offer and obviously many of these players are above that you know, I'd, I'd have to look and, you know, take out old money and stuff like that. But, you know, some of the players are are above that total. And now if you want to say, well, $20 million is a little low. You know, that, that, that kind of, you know, there's a couple of players who make 20 that are kind of like not that good. You know, even if we bring it up to the $25 million or $35 million number, which is more the threshold for where the the higher level starting quarterback is now um and th this is a very small player pool uh because the the quarterback salaries were um so stagnant for so many years before there was you know some growth really more recently um even still you know 60 percent of the players make two years that's pretty much the same 
50% of the players made three, 38% of the players made four. It's basically the same stuff. You know, when you get to five years, we, we don't really have enough players to really even see. And even even these, they're, they're small. You know, we're dropping down from, you know, in, a, in the four-year range, 34 players to only eight. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't say that, that that's a given. But it's not like in those small samples that we've got guys jumping off the page where it's like, well, yeah, but these were like the real stars. And they were playing out you know, their entire deals. No, didn't happen that way. So the point is, unless you're desperate like the Cleveland Browns were, and I can understand where teams would get desperate perhaps with a quarterback, if you just play the percentages and you play the numbers, and if you get into fully guaranteed contracts, especially um, when you start getting into other positions where it's way more volatile, than the quarterbacks. And I'm not giving you great numbers here. But where the positions are way more volatile, there is no logical reason for a team to sign a Kyler Murray to a deal for $230 million and fully guarantee $230 million. There's no fundamental reason to do that because if you look at the, the percentage of this, you've basically got a one in three chance that he's going to play that deal out. So if your odds are just one in three, how many teams are going to do with 230 guarantee? And while in the short term, you may have a handful of teams that do it, when those teams get completely screwed up because of it, the whole league will simply change the way that they're doing stuff. You know, and basically what you're going to get is you would get a large number of contracts to where teams are going to offer, um, you know, just, just looking at these numbers, just, just to give a rough guess, you know, they would probably offer somebody a contract that would be two years, 70 million, two years, 80 million, maybe three years. If they're real bullish, let's say, you know, you go all out three years, 100 million. Um, you know, it, what we're talking about it being fully guaranteed. They're not going to offer five, six, seven year deals. You know, the the Browns did it because the Browns were desperate. But the other teams wouldn't do this. You know, years ago, when I used to do the, uh, the podcast with Bryce, um, before he went on to bigger and better things, um, you know, we actually had a discussion about this. And I don't even remember what year that could have been, 2015, um, where we said that the logic in a fully guaranteed contract, now we were talking about just generalized positional players. Basically, the, the logic in it would be something like this. Let's say you had a player who was worth in the current scenario, let's say $10 million a year. Um, I'll give an example. Let's uh, let's talk about somebody about linebackers today. Let's say Devondre Campbell. So he just recently signed a $50 million deal, uh, $10 million a year. 
and he received $15 million fully guaranteed. Okay. Now the breakdown of his deal, let's, uh, let's actually just bring it up. Now they're unique over there because of the way they do that. So let's say in, under normal circumstances, he probably would have gotten 30 guaranteed. Yeah, maybe less than that. He would have, let, let's say he would have gotten about 22, 23. So here's the deal with him. So he is going to make this year 16.25, of which the 15 was guaranteed. The rest is like per game stuff and whatever else. So he's going to make 16.25 million. He makes 5.25 next year, 10.75, and 8.875. Oops. So his running totals would be 21.5 over 2, 32.25 over 3, 41 over 4, and 50 over 5. Whoops. I'm assuming if I put my numbers in right, yeah, 50 over 5. So, you know, if you look and you would say, well, okay, we think that you'll probably, you know, that we could guarantee three years of this deal. Let's just say that's what they were looking at. But they're not saying that they can guarantee three years at this price. What they're saying is, okay, yeah, obviously we'll guarantee year one. Now they they didn't do that. They it's just the structure of the deal, but you know, let let's just say that it's uh virtually guaranteed. Um there. So that's a sixteen two five. And yeah, we we we're pretty sure you're gonna be here for two years. We'll we'll call that a definite. So we can guarantee a twenty one five. You know, if you're still here year three, we'll pay you up to thirty two three. But, you know, if we have to guarantee that number, well, you know, we need to bring that down, like, a lot. Like, we, we, we don't, you know, the, the odds of you getting that year are probably about 50%. So, you know, instead of play, uh, paying $32.25 million, you know, you you would probably be looking at something like twenty seven million. So, you might be willing to do a three year deal that's fully guaranteed at twenty seven. But you know th that player at the same time, you know, could have made thirty two. Now, let's say that we we want to do a four year deal, five year deal. We're going to keep that all the same. You know, we we know there's a very low chance that he's going to earn that salary those years. You know, let's call it a 20% chance and a 10% chance. I'm just, I'm just throwing some numbers out there. You know, basically what that tells me is I would give a five-year deal. Whoops. Screwed that up. You know, you, you would basically give a five-year deal 
that would be worth, uh, let's see here, 29.7 full. So 30, let's say $30 million. Five years, $30 million is what you'd be willing to do if you had to give a fully guaranteed contract. Now, you're giving up a lot if you're Campbell because if Campbell plays to a high level, he could earn up to 50. Problem is, he would only get, under normal circumstances, 22 guaranteed. Under the Packers system, it's 15, but normal circumstances would be 22. And let's say a 50-50 shot at earning 33, but if we need to fully guarantee that deal, you know, we need to bring our numbers down as a team because we've lost our flexibility of releasing the player. You know, or at least if we do release him, it's going to kill our salary cap because we're going to have to pay him all this money and it's all going to accelerate. So contracts would fundamentally change if they were mandated to be fully guaranteed. You know, short term, they might not. You know, short term, it might look like this tremendous win um, for the players. But long term, once that first wave of deals, you know, craps out, you would see dollar values plummet. You would see the three-year deals plummet. But this was kind of the concept that Bryce and I were talking about. Like, well, you know, would you do a deal, you know, like this one, for example, that guaranteed you $30 million and five years of employment Versus taking a deal that could pay you up to fifty million, but only guaranteed you like twenty or twenty-one, and that to me is an interesting question. Now, no team has done that yet, and quite honestly, I don't think there's any players who would accept those kind of offers. I, I think the. Um, I think the majority of agents would balk at such a suggestion. Be like, well, we're giving you a five-year career, um, you know, versus we'd rather just take the two years with the higher upside. But I, that is that is where the market would go. That's definitely where the market will go if they if they were to do fully guaranteed deals. So it's, I think, I just personally think it's a very short-sighted approach because I think when you start to look at the, the contracts mathematically, um, and I know I did it for the quarterbacks here, but if you did this for every position and you start to look at them mathematically and you start to look at what the expected return is in years on the player, and remember, if you're cut in year three, it means you sucked in year two. 90% of the time. There's a couple times where you know salary cap considerations and other stuff come into play. Um, but if you just do the math, contracts are probably over-guaranteed now for the majority of players. You know, we, we always remember... 
the great players. We remember the Patrick Mahomes. We remember the Tyreek Hills. We we remember these guys who make it to the end of a contract. You know, the Travis Kelseys, the Jason Kelseys. Um, you know, the guys who make it to the end of the contract and get to that elusive third deal. But we forget, conveniently, about all these guys who don't. Michael Thomas, Odell Beckham, you know, these were can't-miss signings. They sucked once they signed. Muhammad Wilkerson on the Jets. I got to bring a Jet in there. You know, so many players, you know, that that just, they they don't. They, They just fail to continue playing at a high level. So, in reality... Many of our contracts are over-guaranteed. Like, you know, the Giants, right? Kenny Galladay, his contract is over-guaranteed. So, if you did the fully guaranteed contract, the kind of analysis that I'm talking about would really come into play everywhere. Because you, you would get, all these teams would be worried about their budgets, They'd all be worried about their cap situations. They'd all be worried about their roster flexibility. And, you know, three-year deals would all become two-year deals. Two years would be one year. Four years would be two years and three years. So it would fundamentally change everything within the league. And I believe in the long run, your overall salaries are would decline under such a system. So, you know, I, I think it's a, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Um, you know, I, I think it's a, uh, it's a, it's a non, it's a non case in my opinion, but I think they'd be worse off if they got it. I really do. And I, I know that so many people don't believe it. Now, a lot of smart Smart people, people who have worked in the NFL that think this is would be like a big win. I think it'd be a big loss overall. I think uh, a lot of guys would get upset. Now, of course, you always have that ability to keep renegotiating and stuff like that. Maybe that's the thought. But um, overall, I think it'd be a big loss. Um, let's do questions in a minute here. Just a quick thoughts on uh, some of the Thanksgiving games, since usually I don't do this... Uh, you know, around the uh, the game times. But we have that a little bit. So let's pull those up for a second. Um, you know, Detroit, that was a good effort by Detroit. You've got to, you know, Detroit's not very good. Um, I know they've won a couple games. They play so hard for that coach. They really do. It's, it is, it's really amazing uh, the way they play. Now, I thought Detroit blew that game at the end. Um, you know, it was just a, it was a weird set of decisions. So Detroit could have taken some timeouts. They didn't. And I understand the concept of, okay, we're playing and our, you know, really you, you should be playing to where your last resort is a field goal. And if you're going to go for a field goal, 
you want to go for a field goal with no time left. You know, like two seconds left, three seconds left, whatever it is. And they kind of played that way. And then you get third and one. And you've blown a lot of time as it is. And now you've got a quarterback who's, eh, you know, whatever. And you've got a receiver who's been hurt most of the year. And you're trying to get these guys to hook up on a deep pass that I don't even know if it would have been a touchdown. I, I think it probably would have put him inside the five. Maybe it would have been a score. I don't know. It's like that's not the play on third and one. You know, when you're in that situation and you got about 30 seconds left in a game or whatever it is and the other team's got timeouts, you've got to pick up the first down. After you pick up the first down, you've got two plays you can try to get to the end zone or get close to the end zone. Um, you know, and if you can't get a touchdown, then you go for your field goal. Detroit doing that pass on third down, in my mind, lost the game for them. Yeah, you're. Your defense just isn't good enough, and Allen, for whatever faults he's got at times, the dude's amazing. Yeah, I mentioned in that Jets game the other week, you know, he put that ball right in Gabe Davis's hands. Guy just dropped it. You know, it was good coverage, but he just dropped the ball. You know, they, they left way too much time on the clock, and it's like Buffalo was giving them a first down. You know, Buffalo basically came all out with that to where they were basically daring them to throw deep, figuring they wouldn't make it, and making sure they got the ball back. Yeah, I guess the thought was, well, you know, even if they score, we'll get the ball back. That would have been harder for them, obviously. But, um, you know, as it was, they just they got the ball back and, you know, had an opportunity and, uh, you know, they made the most of it, and they uh, they scored, and they won the game. You know, Detroit, it, you look at the composition of that roster, I, I don't know how excited you can get for the future, but, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's cool to see the effort that those guys give. You know, I, I think that's pretty good. Um, Dallas and the Giants. Giants got the... Uh, Late score, so I at least got the cover there. Um, <laughs> you know, Dallas was just a class above. I, I think for the Giants, this is... Um, the beginning of the end was probably the Detroit game. But I, I would say this is this is clearly the end for them. I mean, they were totally outclassed by Dallas. Uh, they just don't have enough... Um, they've done a good job. You know, they, they've won a lot of really close games, but they rely a lot on Barkley. Barkley hasn't been there the last couple of weeks. Those big plays haven't been there. Jones is very limited. Um, you know, so you, you can only go so far with him and you know, they're, they're, they're receivers. They're, those guys are hurt too. So it's not like he's got a bunch of great guys he's throwing to, um, they give you effort. They try. You know, you, you see some things they did. Um, Dallas, a really good football team. They really are. 
my opinion is they're probably going to end up relying on like Ezekiel Elliott too much here and there. Um, I know I made a comment about him during the game, and then he actually played pretty well. Um, but, you know, I, I think they, they probably fall into that trap of relying on that too much. But in a wide-open NFC, I think you make a strong argument that they're the best team in the NFC. Um, I know Philadelphia fans don't want to hear that, but I think you can make that argument. Um, so, I mean, they, they have a good chance. But uh, for the Giants... You know, I think you, you know, if you're a Giants fan, be happy with where the record went this year. You know, it's kind of similar, I, I guess, to the Jets other than you're in year one. Um, but it, it's just, it, this This is probably going to be a, a fall down now. Um, you know, I would think for them. Then finally you had New England and Minnesota. This was a good win for the Vikings. Uh, I would say that this is a game they probably didn't... I I can't say they didn't deserve to win it. Um, I think New England... Now, New England got lucky last week beating the Jets with the way they played the Jets. New England tried to hand that game to the Jets, and the Jets just didn't want to take it. But, um, you know, New England is probably cursing themselves and stuff. But the, the end of that game... What New England did was just, I don't know, it was just kind of bizarre. Um, you know, the the fielding, the punt. And I, I know a lot of people were saying, well, you know, you, you've, you've got to assume that that's their best chance is that the guy happens to have another monster return. If that's the faith you have in your quarterback, You've got to be consistent the entire game with the way you play. So I'm not going to completely, you know, discount that line of thinking. But when you have fourth and one, um, I think it was around their own 40, somewhere around that. You've got to go for it then at that point. Because... You're not going to get an easier situation, right? They had to go for it on, what, 4th and 16? And should have converted Aguilar. I don't know what he was doing. But, uh, you know, they, you got to go on 4th and 16. And then you've got this situation now where you're backed up inside your own, like, 10 and almost got a safety. And, you know, then, then they guy gives himself up with no time. Like, obviously, they, they had no clue. Thought he had a timeout. Or something. That that was just a pathetic finish for New England. Um, but, you know, you, you go back. You have to take that game and say, okay, we have a limited quarterback. We can't trust him in a game where there's... And it's a, it's a long shot. But let's say there's 30 seconds left and he's got to drive us down the field. You know, we'd we'd rather rely on the chance of a punt return for a touchdown or a, just a monster punt return to get us, you know, um, in a position to take a couple shots at the end zone. You know, if that's the case, when you have fourth and manageable, you've got to go for it. You know, that's where that game was lost. Now, I'm not saying they would have converted it, but that is where that game was lost. That game was lost by not going for it on fourth down and one and instead embracing you know punt returns and whatever else might come 
out of, uh, you know, Mac Jones. So, but it, it, you know, it was a good, good little slate of games. You know, Thanksgiving is always fun. I hate Thursday football, but uh, Thanksgiving football I love. It just, I don't know if it's a lot of those franchises just prepare better for it. They're used to it, whatever it is, uh, that Thanksgiving football is good. All right, let's take a look now at Twitter. And we'll see what we've got here. All right, looks like we actually have a pretty good amount of questions here. So I went and got a another beer. So we're, we're going over our two beer limit. We're heading into number three. So we'll do that here. And let's take a look. Uh, first question is from Black Gold. Rank the trade value of Zach Wilson, Mekhi Becton, and Elijah Moore. Um, I th- still think Wilson might get you a two. I think Rosen got a two. Now, Rosen didn't have as much time, but I think Wilson, with the physical gifts he has, even if everything else is a negative, um, I think you might still be able to get a two for him. I think the value of Elijah Moore is like a four. Um, Becton's always hurt. I mean, four or five. Like, I, I don't think... Um, with especially with one year left on his deal, and I can't imagine the Jets are picking up an option or anyone else would. I don't think. Um, I don't think there's a lot there. I, I don't know what that value would be, uh, but I don't think it'd be much. It, his deal would be something that you you would probably have a lot of conditions attached to. It would probably have a condition based on playing time, conditions based on an extension. You know, I, I could see that one fluctuating as high as a two and as low as like a five or a six, um, depending on different things. So I think that would actually be a pretty complicated trade. Um, but I don't think Elijah Moore has a lot of value. You know, right now, everything with Moore is just based on the fact that the, the quarterback situation stinks. But, I mean, he's losing playing time to Denzel Mims right now, who's not very good. So... You know, I, I I don't know if that's um. You know that's a that's a big deal there. Uh, okay, the NFL Beatster. Do you and Mark Levin share the similar philosophies when it comes to the NFL salary cap and the cash over cap spending strategies? I don't know his kind of philosophy on that, so I I don't know. Um, you know, if I was in his position, I, I think I would have pushed for way more cash over cap um, as spending. You know, we mentioned that um, where if you looked at what teams spend, like the CBA should have much higher spending requirements than they do. Um, but I, I can't say, um, you know, that... Uh, you know, about similar strategies there. Uh, why do the Bucks and Rams see that kicking the can down the road helps, but others seem blind? When Chris and Cap... Uh, so... Uh, kicking the can down the road, you know, you can throw the Eagles into that category and the Saints and everything else. So there is logic to it. It just depends on who you use it for. Um... 
you know, the value of a dollar today is more valuable than the value of a dollar tomorrow, right? If you, you're kind of looking at it as a percentage of the cap, yeah, it makes sense to kind of kick that money down the road. But it, I think a lot of times it has to be, you know, for a good portion of it, players that you might extend, number one. And I think number two, and this kind of gets into an Eagles thing, it's more about staggering when those deals might all hit if the players suck, you know, or if, not even suck, just that you don't want to get them for an extension. Like the Buccaneers, they're going to have a bunch of guys all hit at once. Like that, that's not good. Um, you know, so I, I think that's like a bad thing. But I, I do think there is a place for it. I've come around much more on that than in the past. Um, but I, I think that, you know, if you're talking about other teams being blind, I think it's more about, you know, how much can you really maximize your roster today? And I think some of the teams are realistic that there's not much more optimization they can do. Right, like the rosters aren't very good. Like, could the Giants have optimized their roster more this year? No. You know, could the Falcons? No. Could the Bears? Well, maybe the Bears could have, but for the most part, no. So, why get into that when it's not like you're adding to today, and you might be hurting tomorrow by doing some stupid stuff? Um, so I, I think that's probably why, but they, there definitely is a time and a place for it. Um, but you just got to be cautious, I think, with it. Um, will increasing the cap be, a, you know, like a big shift in dealings? I think in the short term it will. Uh, I think when you get into the 2024 season, which is when I expect it to really grow, yeah, I think it will. I think when the cap does have a big jump, which it should have over the next two years because, you know, the COVID stuff should go and you've got the new television deals. Obviously, players are going to look for a lot more money and they're probably going to get it um, simply because the budgets are going to go up for all the teams and, you know, your minimum salaries are fixed. Your rookie contracts, while they go up with the cap, that's still a relatively fixed expense. So... I think in the short term, you're going to see jumps in player contracts, and then it will go back to just being like, you know, kind of minimal. So I, I think it's a it's a short term shift, and then it just goes back to the norms over the long term. But then there's definitely going to be an increase, um, you know, once that salary cap really starts to jump. But it's probably going to be over like a two year period. And then you're, you're going to steady out, you know, years three, four, five. Tom, who is the Jets 2024 quarterback? I have no clue. I'm going to guess some kid from college right now. Ian, can the Niners keep Jimmy Garoppolo? Sure. Um, you know, I think... Um, I think if they want to keep him, they probably have to trade Trey Lance. Now... I said Wilson maybe can get a two. I don't know if Lance will get a two. Uh, Lance does not have the physical attributes that Wilson has. 
um, at least with the arm. So I, I don't know if you would get that for him. But I think Garoppolo is not going to go back to San Francisco if it's like a competition scenario. Uh, I don't think he'd go back to San Francisco, really, even if it's a one-year deal where he knows that at any point in time, if stuff goes bad, they might turn back to Lance just, you know, for the hell of it. So I, I think for them to keep him, they probably have to convince him that Lance is done. And I think that only comes with trading him. But there is certainly a path to keeping him if that's what they uh, they would like to do. Uh, Willie, can Rodgers be feasibly traded? So I have a post on that on OTC. And the, the short answer for that is yes with an asterisk. You know, it, it's like a yes but. Um, you would have to have a team willing to trade for Rodgers off of it awful what's been a bad season i won't won't say awful russell wilson's been awful um but off a bad season and be willing to pay him a lot of money next year now would the jets be willing to do that yeah the owner's done that in the past um so i can't discount it ultimately i i would say the jets owner probably wants to get brady for a year but um you know i wouldn't discount it that uh, that's what they want to do. But I don't know. I, I The money is so big. It's like a $60 million salary, I think, next year. Um, let me look him up. Let me just double check that. That's a lot to pay for, you know, a player who really kind of sucked this year. Yeah, I mean, you you'd be making a... $60 million commitment plus his salary guarantees the next year. So, I mean, you'd basically be making a $100 million commitment if you traded for him. Uh, that's a lot. Um, so, from a salary cap perspective, yes, they can trade him. Uh, from a realistic perspective, I, I don't know. Uh, let's see what Robert has to say here. With over half the teams in the NFL having $20 million in dead cap, this trend isn't going away anytime soon, is it? No. So, I've talked about this before. Um, now, I haven't updated it. I keep saying I'm going to update it, and I never update it. One of these days, I, I got to update my, uh, you know, dead cap and the, you know, success rates and stuff like that. Teams, it's okay to carry dead money. As long as you fall in the the average range of the NFL team, it's perfectly fine. What you don't want to be is in that outlier range like the Bears this year or the Falcons or, you know, teams like that. And quite honestly, you don't want to be the way that the the Buccaneers were in the past because you're just burying dead money in your current salary cap hits because you're obviously releasing players. Um, So there is a middle ground that's realistic. Now, the reason some of the money has gone up is teams are willing to to kind of cut ties much faster than before uh, with certain players. Teams are willing to pay to trade players and get draft picks. They weren't as willing to do that before. So I, I think that's another reason that money has gone up. 
And you've also got certain things related to certain types of contracts, more or less, you know, like with quarterbacks and stuff like that, dead money skyrocketed on those players. But, you know, I I think um, planning for dead money is fine. Just don't be above a certain number and don't, quite honestly, don't be under a certain number. Unless you're the rare, 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 rare team that is under a certain number because all the players are great. Um, you know, you, you just want to be somewhere in that, you know, in that fat part of the curve um, and you're perfectly fine. Connor, assuming the Lions pick from the Rams stays in the top 10, what is the actual value of that Stafford Goff swap? Um What are the actualities of like this make you think of the blind first round trades that are several years into the future? Granted, they won the damn Super Bowl. So, okay. So from the Rams perspective, you know, they they you know, they 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 hit the the trifecta, right? Everything went right for them. They won the Super Bowl. So, you know, good for them. As a strategy, it's a high risk, low reward, or I, I don't even say low reward you know obviously they hit a high reward it's a it's a high risk strategy it's a high risk maybe with a high reward you know i mentioned jay cutler before you know matt stafford winning a super bowl would be the equivalent of jay cutler winning a super bowl would be the equivalent of a uh vinnie testaverde had won a super bowl with the jets it's like have arm will travel i mean that that's basically what it is um you know, the, the concept of, I mentioned this, ooh, was it Twitter this week? Last week? I don't, I don't even remember what it was. The blind first round trade is the dumbest trade that any team in the NFL can make. And when you don't have a quarterback on your roster, now obviously the Rams have a quarterback or believe they did because they traded for um, Matthew Stafford. Giving away a blind first round pick. I'm talking about the Rams for Jalen Ramsey. I'm talking about the Seahawks for Jamal Adams. I'm talking about the Saints this year for, you know, nonsense. You know, whatever. Was it Penning that they, they traded up for the tackle or whatever? When you don't have a young quarterback on your roster, you know, and maybe the Rams, maybe they looked at Goff as, I guess, maybe a guy then when I'm talking about Ramsey, but when you don't have that, a young or an in-the-prime kind of quarterback, you, under no circumstance, can you trade away that first-round pick The NFL's devaluing of future picks is like the dumbest thing that exists in the NFL. It's like the biggest thing that teams can exploit where you look at this and you're like, well, yeah, okay, that player's worth a two. Well, you know, we're talking about next year's draft, so it really is worth a one, right? Because we devalue it by a round. 
What? You know, if you're the New Orleans Saints right now and you're looking at that draft order, don't you think that first-round pick is still a first-round pick? If you're the Rams and now you got a quarterback with concussion problems and whatever else and you see that first-round pick going to another team, do you look at that and go, Oh, well, yeah, that was really just like a second-round pick. Now, obviously, they won the Super Bowl, but imagine they didn't. Imagine they had lost, um, you know, imagine they had lost the Patriots in that wild card game. Do you think that's how they'd be looking at that? Like, well, yeah, it was really just second-round pick. It's the dumbest thing. It, it is the, it's one of the biggest things that you can exploit in the draft when it comes to trades is the devaluation of future picks. Like, I will give you a five this year for a four next year. You know, or, you know, I'll give you a three this year for a four this year and a two next year. It's like, what? You know, those are the kind of trades that, you know, you can exploit to get so much better. And they're just going to make other teams get a lot worse. Um, anyway, when it, when it comes to just just the concept of that, whenever I use future picks, um, usually in my own trade calculations, I just always assume it's going to be the 16th pick in that round. And if I want to go crazy and devalue it, well... A first-round pick is a first-round pick is a first-round pick. So at the worst, I'm going to say it's the thirty. It's worth the value of the thirty-second pick in the first round. Uh, Jason says, wondering what do you think Dallas will do with Zeke and Pollard in the offseason? Pollard will be a free agent. Zeke will have a sixteen-seven uh, cap hit. I don't know. Um, Jerry is so in love with Ezekiel Elliott. I don't know if he'll get rid of him. I have no clue. Um, so I, I don't have a feel for that. Uh, I, I guess my thought would be that they'll bring Elliot's salary down and they will re-sign Pollard as well. Um, I don't know what that number will be for Pollard, 80 years or something like that. That's my guess as to what they'll do. Um if it was me, I'd probably let both walk. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that's probably what they'll do. Let's try to keep both. Flip, uh, are there any GMs who are just figureheads uh, while the head coaches run the draft and free agency? If so, who? Uh, teams are still dealing with cap shrinkage. You think most teams getting back to business as usual? So for the latter question, yeah. I, I think everyone is beyond the uh, the COVID stuff and the limitations that that had with it um as for the first part of the question maybe new england you know i i'm not really sure i i think in most places you know the general manager obviously is going to have some say um you know like Pete Carroll actually, you know, he's always had a lot of power in Seattle, but Schneider actually, 
you know, he does a lot of stuff there. You know, it's his team. You know, Pete has a lot of influence. Um, but, you know, I would never say he's a figurehead. So I, I, I don't know if really it exists in any any spot where it's just a figurehead position. Um, but, you know, like in New England, there's a lot of influence. In Kansas City, you know, there's a lot of influence. Um, so there's places where I think the coach influences significantly more. But I don't know if there's really any spot where it's just a uh, figurehead position. Captain Buccaneer, uh, how will rookie contracts work with the Dolphins' forfeited pick? Will the player selected after the Dolphins' pick claim he was taken at the pick the Dolphins forfeited? No. Um, basically, the Dolphins' pick will uh, just kind of vanish. So, you know, if the Dolphins' pick number 28, it'll just, that number will vanish. 29 will still get paid like he was 29. And, um, what you do for the calculations is you take that salary that was supposed to be there, you add it back into the pool, and that increases the salary cap pool for the rookies um, for 2024 is how that works. Jason Sark says, how are the Jets going to get a solid quarterback? Zach is a bust. Uh, they can sign a vet, though I don't expect much there. They have to draft and are now too good to draft that high. See the Jets having to pay up the trade up, draft in second and third. Um, I, I don't know what the Jets' strategy will be. Um, you know, my my thought is they're probably gonna sign a veteran. You know, they're they're probably gonna go after Garoppolo or someone of that ilk. Um, or Woody will get involved and try to get them to sign Brady. Uh I would if it was me. Um now I I always say this, I never know the college players. But if this is a decent quarterback draft, I would say the Jets need to move up. And obviously, we've seen Joe Douglas move up many times because I criticize it all the time, um, you know, for players in the draft. So if you're, you know, you got to move up for a quarterback, I'm not going to criticize that. Move up for a quarterback. Um, I think that makes the most sense for them. So if it was me, I would say you can you move up for a quarterback and that's the the best thing that you can do. All right, president elect Mr. Trump, Eagles cap situation with the free agents this year, little cap, many good free agents who can they realistically resign. Um let me look it up. The Eagles well, so as things turned out they're going to have some guys like Bradbury who, you know, obviously have been very good this year, um, you know, who are going to be free agents now. But for the most part, the Eagles are locked in on their roster. Um, you know, so you got Quinn, you've got Cox, you've got Hargraves. Um, Bradbury has been excellent. Uh, Joseph and Sue, who they, you know, just signed. Um uh, guy they traded from from uh uh new orleans um you know he's a free agent um i'm just seeing if there's anyone else you know realistically i mean 
you can always make it work for a season if you want to. So I'm not going to say that the salary cap is going to limit them, um, you know, for next year and doing anything. But, you know, if you look at it from a long-term perspective, I'd say Cox definitely goes. Hargrave probably goes. Bradbury probably goes. You're not going to get another year like that out of Bradbury. Um, you know, and you, you can you can keep Gardner Johnson if you want. Quinn, you're probably going to let walk. Um, Sanders, it's a running back. You know, doesn't cost you much if you want to keep it. You know, I I, I don't know. I'm not that worried. I, I wouldn't be that worried if I was a uh, Eagles fan about. Uh, you know, keeping stuff. You know, they you you have to make changes in your roster, and I think the Eagles understand that probably better than most teams. And I, I would say that they're going to have the flexibility to to do what they need to do um, for next season. Um. Angry Rob, with the recession or pending crash that's constantly being forecast, what is the expectation of the salary cap for next season? Growth same, smaller. Uh, it'll be growth. Um, NFL is more or less recession-proof, and you know their television contracts are going to be locked in, so um, NFL will probably see some big growth next year as they kind of finish off all the COVID stuff, and then uh, 2024, I think, is the big big year that it changes. Gideon, what do you think gets done with Orlando Brown this offseason? Um, I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I could see a situation where they let him walk. Um, I could see a situation where they tag him again. Um, goodness. Uh... haven't gotten enough into free agency yet for next year um you know to really say i i don't think anything would surprise me uh for next year with whatever they do um i don't know if i was betting on it i would say the most likely thing is i think they just let him walk but you know I don't know. Nurike, is a hot dog a sandwich? Uh, I'm going to say no. I'm not sure. I've never called it a sandwich. So I'm going to say no. Robert, is the way to keep Jimmy G uh, extending Nick Bosa for a lower cap hit? Do you think Bosa will get Joey Bosa's contract or something uh, similar? Um, So I think Bosa probably has a good chance to be the I'd say the first $30 million player, but, you know, obviously that's Donald. Um, I guess on a traditional extension, the first $30 million a year player, um, probably that. I, I think I think keeping Jimmy Garoppolo is all just going to be based on convincing him that he's the starter next year. Uh, Sean says, 
What are the options that could be on the table for the Jets next season? Is it Jimmy G or another vil, um, another vet? Yeah, I would think so. Um, you know, I would think it's Garoppolo. I would think it's, oh gosh, Brady, Carr. I don't think they'd go Rodgers. Um, I couldn't totally discount them doing something like that. But yeah, I, I think... Um, I think that's the case. Darwin, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much of an overreaction is the benching of Zach Wilson? Um, depends on what you talk about as an overreaction. Um, you know, I, I'm on record, obviously, here saying I think his career with the Jets is done. So if that's an overreaction, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think there's... Uh, I don't think there's really that much of an overreaction to it. You know, he's been a lousy player. Uh, I think this week he was a lousy teammate, which made it a lot worse. Um, so, I, I don't know. I, I don't think there's that much real overreaction to it. Uh, Brian... I assume the Jets are going to be a popular topic on this week's show, but in case the topic isn't addressed, how much do the Jets realistically have to spend to get a definite starting quarterback versus second starting option may feasibly have to compete? Um, so, yeah, if you are looking to bring in a quarterback who is a locked-in starter, um, you know, you're probably looking at like 35 to 40. I, I would think that's the number. You know, I I don't think Garoppolo's coming for 20. I don't think even if Carr was released, he's coming for 20. Um, you know, I, I, I think you're basically going to be in that 40 range. You know, you, you might regret it, but I, I think that's the uh, that's the number. William, do you think the Jets have enough cap space to bring in an expensive uh, veteran quarterback and not wreck the cap situation? Sure. Yeah, they do. They... Uh, you know, you've got flexibility with a couple of guys. Um, you know, you're probably going to drop Lawson. Uh, you might drop Corey Davis. A couple of other guys. And you can always defer money to 2024 when you can start getting rid of, like, the tight ends and uh, those kind of players. So, yeah, I, I think the Jets are okay with the cap. John, is there a way for the Giants to afford to finish out the season and field a team for a playoff game without having to restructure Galladay, assuming current injury trends? Uh, yeah, the the Giants should be all right. I, I don't think they're an issue. I think the Titans are the team that's an issue right now. Maybe the Vikings. Uh, Vikings did a restructure. Um, let me see. Giants are fine. Uh, let's see. Internet does not want to work right now. Yeah, the teams that are an issue right now, unless there's been a restructure that I don't know about, would be the Titans, Bills, and maybe Vikings. Much lesser extent, Patriots. Uh, Giants are fine. Um, so they're, they're, they're okay. Um, shoes, can you explain what happens to the contract if someone retires or is forced to retire medically? Um for a contract like Watson's or uh, Denzel Ward, someone like that. So if a player retires, um, basically the, the 
guarantees in the contract vanish and you're just responsible for the acceleration of any signing bonus money. Now, if it's a medical retirement, that's a different story. Um, in that case, any kind of injury protection will kick in. So you might have some very big salary cap charges to where even if a player is medically retiring, you're probably not actually going to retire them. You're going to leave them on the roster and you're going to leave them on the roster on a um, physically unable to perform status. And you might be able to tinker with the money a little bit to you know, make it more agreeable with your salary cap. And on top of that, you know, if you have insurance, you might get compensated for that player being injured. Um, so it kind of depends a little bit on that. Uh, NFL Beatster again. Uh, can any chess grandmaster with the leadership qualities of Mike Rabel learn to be an NFL ho- head coach um, be successful after one year of study? I would have no idea. Uh, Vrabel's a terrific coach. He probably doesn't get anywhere near enough credit. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of being a head coach isn't even so much those X's and O's. It's getting that respect of um, of the guys in the locker room and getting them to play for you and you know, if you're coming from outside the NFL world, uh, that's probably a little bit more difficult. Uh, might be. Are second-tier wide receivers becoming overpaid or just approaching the correct value? No, second-tier wide receivers have almost always been overpaid. Um, I don't think that is, uh, that's anything new. I think that... Um, You know, the, the the wide receivers who typically are, you know, making it to free agency, who are really second-tier guys, or, um, you know, you, you are players that you're extending aggressively uh, that are really second-tier guys. Yeah, I think they're overpaid relative to the top of the market. Um but I don't think that's really anything new. I, I think that's something that teams know they're doing. Like, I, I don't think you go into signing some of these deals and you're like, well, we know we're really grossly overpaying for this guy and we don't expect to get anything in return. I think you, your theory when you do it is, yeah, you're overpaying for him, but you're expecting that they're going to have a bigger role than they did with their prior team, you know, the Christian Kirk type player. Um even if it means they're not going to live up to their current contract, just that there is a, um, I, I guess, a level that they're going to come pretty close to, even though you're overpaying for it. All right, I think that does it for questions. So this is like a, a mega podcast here. We're about to hit two hours, and uh, I'm sure you can hear it in the voice that it's definitely shot once again tonight. Um uh, I'm hoping that we will, you know, be able to do this again next week. Um, so we'll see what pops up, what we can talk about, and uh, what questions we can get. Nelly, you have anything before I go? Once, twice, sold. Nope. Nelly's ready to go to sleep as well. 
So, um, all right. I, I guess that will do it for me tonight. So everybody have a great week and hopefully I'll be back next Friday or next Saturday night, but if not the, uh, the week after that, uh, for certain, everybody have a great week and I'll talk to you again soon.